Hello, one and all, and welcome back to Talking T20 with me, Daniel Norcross, and my sylvan sprite of a sidekick, Matt Roller. It's great to have you back. Sorry we've been away for a week, but uh, there really wasn't any cricket. Well, there was, but it was county championship cricket that was suddenly airlifted in completely bafflingly into the schedule. And before that, there was a vast quantity of rain. But since we were last united, Matt Roller, there have been a whole smorgasbord of matches. The group tables, both north and south, are now beginning to make something like sense. We can see teams that have been that have qualified. We can see teams that definitely won't qualify. And there are still some very exciting games coming up to decide qualification, which will all be pretty much wrapped up by this time next week, won't it? Yeah, I mean, well, within a couple of days, potentially, we've got a a very clear picture, I think, in the North group as to who's going to go through. Uh, And it's uh, squeaky bum time, as Alex Ferguson would call it in the South, um, with not very many points at all. I think four points separating uh, second and eighth at this stage. So uh, an exciting final week in prospect, no doubt. It is the morning after the night before, and both Matt and I are emotionally drained and rather weepy, having cried salt tears of joy and and some despair along the way. But that will not stop us from getting our teeth into not just the Vitality T20 Blast, but also a look at the KSL, which is pretty much done and dusted until finals day. One match for each of the teams left, and we know who's going to be in the final, we know who's going to be in the semi-final. And finals day, of course, is on Sunday. We'll take a quick look at that later on. But first of all, let's get our teeth into the North Group, and let's start with the table, because One thing we do know is that Lancashire have qualified. Another thing we do know is that Nottinghamshire has qualified. We think that Lancashire are pretty much certain of a home tie now. Mm. They're four points clear of Worcestershire in third and Derbyshire in fourth. The only side that could knock them off that perch would be Worcestershire and, and Nottinghamshire going past them. So I think we can say safely say home draw for Lancashire and they've deserved it haven't they they've been the standout side in the North Group this year they have they've been brilliant they've uh, they've they've sort of uh, just carried on the blueprint they had last year of bowling lots of overs of spin especially the middle and even towards the death uh, Matt Parkinson has been the, the standout uh, spin bowler in the competition he's sitting pretty on 18 wickets economy rate just over 7 and is probably a reasonable shout for uh, England's T20 squads for New Zealand uh, and with the bat, um, they, they've had all sorts of different players chipping in. Uh, Maxwell's probably been the star, as you'd expect. Um, but Stephen Croft uh, biffed his way to 94 or 55 yesterday in their, their sort of uh, demolition job, I suppose, of Worcestershire. Uh, the interesting thing is that while they will be drawn at home, is we have less clarity as to where that game is actually going to be played because... Uh, in a sort of remarkable um, scheduling quirk, the quarterfinals are all uh, being held at the same time as the Old Trafford Ashes Test, would you believe? Uh, meaning that Lancashire are probably going to have to either uh, switch their game to a neutral venue or play it away from home, which would be uh, a, a sort of cruel end to a, a very uh, strong group uh, effort. It's a real weird one, that, isn't it? I can't quite understand how or why that has actually happened. Because... I mean, it's not just the fact that you're in, very likely to get one of these clashes happening, you know, wherever the test match was going to be, that put a side in danger of not being able to use their ground. But also, really, it doesn't sort of showcase the quarterfinals awfully well, does it? I mean, once somebody's sat down and watched a test match all day, and now you're saying, now can you, can you stay on and watch another three hours of cricket? I mean, I know we will. Yeah. <laughs> three or four to nine insane. But 
I'm going to be covering that test match. And so I'm not going to get to see any of those games live, which is a great disappointment. I will be presumably watching, I should imagine, in the hotel bar every night, which will which will make for quite a solitary experience <laughs> during that test match. Not, not the most convivial, perhaps, but I, I can't understand why they would do that. Yeah, it's a slightly weird one. I suppose um, th- there's the chance that, uh, you know, we can have the, the situation where people will get home from work, watch the last hour of the test, and then decide to keep watching a game they may not have realised was on uh, in the case of the, the first few quarterfinals and then it catches their attention and they, they you know suddenly are interested in the in the blast on account of knockout cricket um but i'm not necessarily sure it's great there was there were a couple of games um following straight on from uh the broadcaster's coverage of the uh test match uh during the, the, the headingly test match and uh while it sort of was quite a nice riposte to have uh, to go from england England's batting struggling on Saturday, uh, struggling their way to close into Tom Banton, flaying it everywhere at Taunton and sort of uh, seeing the, a, a nice little bit of juxtaposition there. It's equally uh, a little bit jarring when they went to, I think, the East Midlands on Thursday night and it is, you know, didn't quite seem right. But It didn't. I mean, I was at Lord's on the Friday, which will forever be known as the darkest day of English cricket when England were bowled out for 67 in the morning and then dropped a bunch of catches and Manus Labashkachne got away with Moida and <laughs> Lords was absolutely packed I mean it was a wonderful wonderful sight the game wasn't particularly good I've got to say we'll talk about the South Group later but the crowd was fervid and on their feet and staying to the end despite the fact that the, the result was fairly clear and it wasn't going to be a home win either so I don't know in a way I think test match can feed into crowds so I think Mm, there's a sort of mm. sense in which that can work Uh, let's put that to one side let's take a look at the other things that we know from the North group because when we talk about these teams now we'll probably not on Talking T20 be talking about them again we are going to put them to bed we're going to say goodbye and in the case of Birmingham Bears and the Yorkshire Vikings well their tournament is over as well as for Leicestershire Leicestershire three points behind Derbyshire in fifth place they are but they've only got one game left Birmingham and Yorkshire are at the bottom of the table with nine points each they can only get to 13 so they're toast North Hants and Durham they are four points behind qualification spots with two games left but they'd have to win both of those games and then obviously Worcestershire and Derbyshire would have to lose their games and they'd have to overturn the net run rate situation so let's let's have a little look at the poor campaigns of Birmingham and Yorkshire I was at Edgebaston on I can't even remember what night it was now was that Friday night? Mm, I think so yeah well that was quite some night um, a lot of runs scored 170 odd 180 odd for both sides and Moe Nally was absolutely magnificent 184 for 5 the Birmingham Bears made and I thought that that might be enough and then Moe Nally I mean, it wasn't single handed he was helped by Ricky Vessels of course but his 85, unbeaten 85 from 46 balls, was sumptuous and it just made you weep for the mowing alley that you know is there. You know, the ball was being thrashed into the holly stand and thrashed into the other stands. And Well, you know, and he was also clever innings. He played Jeetan Patel really, really well, recognised Patel as a threat. But I looked at that Birmingham side and thought, this is a decent team here. Adam Hose impressed me. Mm-hmm. Sam Hayne impressed me. How they find themselves at the bottom of the table with Yorkshire, I have no idea. What's your hunch? 
my my verdict on Birmingham Bears is that this is uh, this is the karma deserved for dropping Ed Pollock, who was a superstar, a superstar last year. Uh, he was the the man in demand. He had everyone looking at him, everyone talking about him, and uh, I, 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 yeah, I'm not a fan of this idea that you would drop your pinch hitting opener just because he has a lean run. Of course, you're going to have a lean run if you're picking someone and trying to get them to blast every ball in the power play out of the ground. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if there's something that's that's bobbling under the surface there. Um, I've no idea either way, but it seems uh, a, a strange call to me, not least uh, then ending up with an opening partnership of Dom Sibley and Sam Hain, which is rather sedate. Um, and I, I also think their bowling attack probably isn't that strong. You look at people like Will Rose, Alex Thompson, it's, it's fine, but there's, there's not much, uh, star power there. So, um, yeah. No, I was quite impressed with, with Oliver Hammond Dolby, but you're mm, right. Mm. Uh, Henry Brooks also impressed me with his pace, but whether or not he's the ideal T20 bowler at this stage, I'm, I'm not too sure about. Uh, let's, let's take a look at uh, Yorkshire. They did pull off a win this week over Durham but it wasn't enough they'd just they'd had a, a poor season up to now so they were consigned to certain non what are we going to call it qualification when they lost in Nottinghamshire by three runs three, three runs three, three runs, runs. So there was a, a tight affair that one with Adam Lyde starring with both bat and ball but again you know you look at the Yorkshire side and I, I think they've underperformed they've got players there but it just hasn't happened for them yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't think they necessarily had the bowling attack. Um, I'm not sure whether T20 was a particular priority this year. Um, they, they obviously spent, um, a reasonable sum recruiting, uh, Dwayne Oliveira, um, as their, their sort of star Colpack signing. He's much more of a red ball bowler than a white ball one. Uh, and then Nicholas Puran was a, a sort of supposedly inspired bit of business, but for the fact they only actually had him for five games and it turned out being three because of the rain. Uh, and if you only have one overseas player for three games, then you're never really likely to get through. And North Hans, I'm afraid, suffered a massive defeat over Derbyshire. Bowled out mm. for 100. And that's pretty much made it... It's not impossible, but it's made it deeply unlikely for North Hans to qualify. They, along with Durham, who have had their moments in this year's tournament, it doesn't look like they are going to qualify. But it does mean that Derby probably will almost certainly will now remind me who last year's quarter finalists were from the north group uh it was lancashire nottinghamshire worcestershire and durham i believe right so three out of the four and derbyshire i think got through the year before didn't they, they right? did surprisingly they did and i think they have um to an extent become the new northampton that they have prioritized t20 a little bit you've got to remember they have uh dominic cork in as a specialist sort of T20 consultant I think his role might be it's a slightly um, unusual one but he's a very experienced guy he obviously uh, was very senior in the Hampshire team that uh, was so successful in the uh, in the sort of 2010 to 2015 or so era um, and they've had f- a fairly simple game plan which has been to, to pack the bowling attack uh, and then back uh, Messrs Godelman and uh, Madsen to knock the runs off which you know worked perfectly in that game against Northants we spoke of it worked perfectly in their, their East Midlands derby against Leicester the other night when they uh, got them 124 for 9 and then uh, cantered home nine, with 9 wickets to spare and it's the bowling that's doing it here though I mean restricting side to 100 restricting side to 124 for 9 
What 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 has Derbyshire got in the bowling department that's that's just proving so toxic for their opponents? Well, they have the joint leading wicket taker in the competition. There's five men on uh, on 18 wickets at the moment, and then in Ravi Rampal, who sort of looks like a you know he's 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 put on a few pounds since his playing <laughs> since his international days for sure. But he's he's doing a serious job with a new ball and at the death. Um, given the overs that he bowls and an economy rate of uh, 6.9 is pretty outstanding. Uh, plus the wicket-taking ability to match. And, you know, I, I don't think there's any particular uh, menace or, or phantoms in his in his uh, armoury. It's just a, a case of a nagging line in length that they, people talk about hitting a hard length in T20, the slightly back of a length balls that um, people aren't too sure whether to go forward or back to and sort of hit the shoulder of the bat, hit the, hit the, hit the thigh or the chest. Um and it's you know it's a pretty uh it's a pretty straightforward uh plan i suppose but when you have two guys that are very good at getting scores like 50 or 40 and 70 or 55 and godelman and madsen it's uh it's a potent one it sure is and it looks like it's going to get them a quarter final place whether it's a home tie or not is unlikely we think lancashire are definitely going to have a home tie wherever that may be but the one side that we haven't talked about is nottinghamshire and instead we sent our intrepid reporter David Hopps to go and talk to their coach Peter Moores. So I'm with Peter Moores and Nottinghamshire have just become the second side to qualify with Lancashire for the quarter-final of the uh, Vitality Blast and uh, you've got a very happy atmosphere haven't you? 14,000 here, people signing autographs uh, these sort of things matter. It's been a great day for the club and a great day obviously for the team to get to get through but it's 14,000 people at Trent Bridge the women played before so Loughborough Lightning won the game before so it's been a really good day all round I think and, and it was a game that was sort of befitting of a big crowd really going down to the very last ball I think Duckworth Lewis was level with three balls to go so it, it was a great game of cricket that ebbed and flowed both ways and we got over the line Now it was also a strange game of cricket and I've got to ask you about this before we move on to Nottinghamshire there was this huge cheer when he was 70 odd for three and people must have thought what's that and it was it was Ben Stokes winning the match at Headingley um, you know you, you've dealt with Ben Stokes in the past is there's a great story of redemption here isn't there in this summer I think I think Ben I mean Ben has always been a brilliant talent as a player I think but anybody who's worked with Ben has been around Ben um, love it when he does well because he's 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 a proper honest professional player he puts in more than anybody else on things like fielding and areas that aren't just about him um, you know he's batting he's bowling everything about that game so he's, he's, he's totally in makes no fuss about anything I mean I thought he got hit on the helmet by Hazelwood I think it was a classic Ben you know he's just boom carries on puts his things on and carries on doing it so he, he, you know I thought the way he played the calmness he showed the second unbelievable piece of batting I mean, in the same summer um says a lot for him and his maturity of where he's come to as a player and you know that's going to be come down with you know arguably one of the it's you know it's up with Bolton's it's one of those it's an unbelievable game of cricket that in many ways you look back England had no right to win and got over and it set up a fantastic finish for the series now the reason I'm I was particularly interested in that is is the sort of redemption story without making too much of what happened in Bristol and let's remember he was found not guilty and everything um, you've had a couple of lads um, here who've been through some tough 
demanding sign times off the field. So, uh, again, without exaggerating the problems I've gone through, do you think do you think the message from Ben Stokes to people like Michael Clark and Alex Hales is, you know, you can turn your career, your life, in the space of a, a few short weeks with the with the sort of things you do out there on the field? I don't think that's on his radar at all. He's got plenty on his radar, and his radar would be to try and win the game for England. So that's all he would be thinking. Um, but what, know, what about your two guys? Do you think you know, it's a positive I, I, message I, for them? I don't think they'll see it like that at all either, to be fair. I think they, they are, they're both getting on with their cricket and they're two really good lads, you know, who've been through something, they've had to get through it. Um, and each time you win tight games, it's a chance to really enjoy the best side of our game, you know, especially when it's in front of the crowd. So, you know, I think, I don't, I, I don't think they're linked at all. I think, you know, Ben's doing his thing, I think our lads were doing our thing. I thought the actual, when the cheer went up, in the ground, it was lovely. You know, it's that link always that England cricket has got to the whole cricket in the world. Um, and, you know, that there was a cheer first and then no one sure if they'd won or not or was it level and suddenly the big cheer went off and obviously we knew that all the line. So do you feel um, you're, you're in the last day to... You've, you've got some players of obvious talent. Is, does that give you more confidence that you are potential uh, trophy winners because of the sort of quality you have in, in this side? I think you, the goal is to get into the last days. You know, you, you're three wins away. That's what you are. I mean, what we do know, a lot of these lads played in 17 when we won it. We quarter-final last year and came just short in Somerset in a game we got ourselves in a position we thought we could have won it. And Somerset played really well, credit to them. So I think we know we, we've got enough in our team to win any game against anybody if we can put those together in the right order to win the trophy that's always always the big question I think part of that comes down to people being forward at the right time sometimes there's a bit of luck it's a, it's a break at the right time as well um, our next goal is to try and get a home quarter that's our next thing we like playing here to get a home quarter would be great but realistically to, to know you've got a crack at going to finals day is the, is the number one goal you brought in three new batsmen over the summer, but you'd also lost uh, a lot of uh, top-quality batsmen as well. So it's been quite a difficult transition for you. Tell me, tell me how you think that's been working out. Yeah, it's been tough. We've lost, well, we lost our top seven really in the last eighteen months. You know, so you know, you, you look at the players you've lost. People like Michael Love, Chris Reid, Brendan Taylor, James Taylor. A lot of international experience. Um, Ricky Vessels who went to Worcester so we've lost we've lost a huge amount of, of quality um, and we obviously have to bring people in so we've also tried to blood some of our own and pull people through so that's been difficult white ball's been simpler I think because in some ways it's a slightly simpler game I think than, than red ball cricket um, and some of the lads have found it difficult to adapt first division's harder than second division um, and I think we saw in this test match you know there's a, there's a way of playing in longer format cricket that sometimes younger batters have tried to shortcut. There's no way to shortcut it. You know, you have to you have to get through tough periods of the game. You've got to make them bowl at you. You've got to not chase the ball. You can chase the white ball. You can't chase the red one. And a lot of young players have tried to get round that and say, well, I'll play it this way. I think this test match more than any other proved the point that to get runs you've got to go through you know Ben would have been two off 60 balls Ben Stokes in this so maybe the message from Ben Stokes it, it's not 
that the story the journalists love the sort of redemption story the message is two off 60 balls and and then hitting out at the end when there are nine down and finding a way to win the game is that the sort of message you you want some of your younger I think, guys I think to the soak message up? I think I think that comes out is it's it's you can't say that's the way I play really it, we're in the world of individual is every you know to be your own player is everything we all want that go and express yourself but you've got to be able to adapt you've got to adapt to the situation and you know so in this game here Australia had three very good quick bowlers bowling very well and a top flight spinner there has to be a point where you say well we've got to blunt you for a while so you get tired and we get the rhythm of you and then we start to change the mood of the game the momentum of the game and we start to get things on our terms and that is really hard to do and that acceptance that that's the challenge ahead of you will dictate sometimes how you practice for that form of the game I have a sympathy with all these batters, young batters, because it's tough. You know, we ask them to strike at 160 in 2020, at 130 in 50, and then not chase it in a red ball game. So it's not a simple fit. What I do think is that for a young player, a young batter, don't go away from what's in front of you. If you want that challenge, then you have to work at it. And if you do, I think the moments you'll get in longer format cricket are sometimes the most special. I mean, to have to work... You know, how long Ben batted, I don't know, but it would have been a huge amount of time to come out with that moment. Um, it's something he'll, you know, he'll live with him and everybody else for the rest of their lives. And so that, it's not as instant as a short-form game. Because of that, it's often more special. Dan, we've been here watching a T20, but it, it's been one of those occasions, I think, in English cricket where it... It just feels like uh, one big family, and it, it certainly did when those cheers went up today. Oh, thank you, David Hopps. Yes, it was an emotional moment, wasn't it? It was emotional for everybody, I think, yesterday, mm. that, that test match. I found myself commentating at a charity event, and half the crowd weren't really that into cricket. They were just there watching their, their husbands or wives or girlfriends play. And the other half were watching the game, and I daren't move from my seat because I'd got in there and then this 10-figure partnership had happened. You know, that superstitious nonsense. I could just hear <laughs> the screams from downstairs and kept on shouting, what's happening? What's happening? And it was like the entire country came to a standstill. I mean, matches stopped yesterday. Ben Stokes didn't just empty the bar at Headingley. He, he stopped matches up and down the country. And it was even announced, was it not, at the... Tottenham Hotspur against Newcastle United Premier League game. It was indeed, um, and, and quite right too. There was a lovely clip as well I saw um, floating around on Twitter of uh, Nat Siver and Sarah Taylor reacting during their uh, during their KSL game. They were batting uh, yesterday and uh, you know, five overs into the run chase or whatever it would have been against the storm. And, uh, yeah, they, you know, there was a sort of gent gentle rumbling from the crowd followed by a loud roar from the crowd. And they sort of walked down to the middle of the pitch looking around, um, and eventually sort of realized what had happened. Big fist bump. And then back they went about their business. So, uh, yeah, it was a real, uh, it, you know, you saw, I saw the footage from, uh, from both the Aegeus Bowl and the Edge Baston concourses where, people had filtered out um i think i i think the I, as i understand it the reports of play actually stopping in the blast games was perhaps were perhaps uh exaggerated a touch um but it sounds as like they you know they might have well have have stopped given the lack of people watching um it's yeah it sounds like there were em empty seats across the country at those five games as people flocked to whatever tv screen they could find now i know you've got some views on the influence of t20 this is a t20 podcast so we're not going to talk about a test match at Nauseam, but 
Um, I know you want to talk about Ben Stokes, and I want to talk about Joffre Archer in the context of that test match and how T20 has impacted and influenced the way they play. Because it's very clear, when watching Stokes trying to hunt down those runs, uh, 30, 40 years ago, that just wouldn't have happened. And if it had, in the manner that uh, Alan Border did and Jeff Thompson back at Melbourne in 1982-3 when they nearly got there, it was a very attenuated process. It took a couple of hours. But nowadays, the influence of T20 seems to be that batsmen attempt what would have seemed impossible and believe that they can get to their target quicker so they don't have to expose, in this case, the number 11 to as many balls. Would that be a fair summation? Yeah, I mean, this this will sort of um, prove as if the point needed hammering home any further that I, I, I am perhaps a little bit too obsessed with cricket at times. But there was there was a moment yesterday when Stokes didn't celebrate his 100 because he was so focused on the run chase that reminded me of his first IPL 100 for um, Rising Pune Supergiant back in 2017. Of course it did. Which, it, it, you know, it was... Bizarrely, a, a reasonably similar situation where I think that they they'd lost their top order quickly. Actually, what, I dug out the highlights to, to confirm to myself that I wasn't I wasn't making things up. But they lost the top order quickly. Stokes came in at five with some impossible situation. You know, they were eleven for three and soon eleven for four. He was joined by Emma's Doney. He wasn't. He was almost playing the Jack Leach role. You know, ticking over a strike rate of eighty or something, and had to pick off those bad balls. Had to make the the the, the right call at the right time as to which shot he was going to play, where he was going to hit it. And it, you know, it was very similar. He was hitting a lot of um, you know fairly orthodox shots a lot of the time, pulls and uh, sort of back foot punches through the covers and uh, clubbing people over long on and long off as people have done for years. But it was it was about um, as much as anything, the mentality and the mindset and the belief and uh, backing himself to, to play a shot to a particular ball. And, you know, there were some shots yesterday, obviously the, the reverse slog sweep over what I suppose used to be cover um, stands out. But there was there was also, you know, there was a low full toss that was fired in towards leg stump, which he sort of flicked over, um, squared, I suppose, deep square legs head for six and... It, it, it was, was yeah, and there was a there was a ramp, and there it was, and you know, it was a case of um, a lot of it. You were thinking that you know, while uh, in another era, possibly, you know, there's never been a great, there's never been a time when a, uh, a leg stump low full toss has been a brilliant ball, but there will definitely be a time when that would have been clipped out into mid wicket for two. But because of the the fact that Stokes has been in those pressure situations time and again in the IPL and for England as well, we should add, um, you know, he's he's able to hit um, attempted Yorkers out of the ground despite the fact they aren't missed by very much um and you know if you look at the <laughs> Rajasthan Royals have sort of would I think would be a brilliant test match franchise if if such a thing existed um given how well um you know Stokes Archer and I suppose people like Ajinka Rahani as well have done in recent times but um you know, Rajasthan Royals have had a pretty good influence on England this summer. If you think back to the World Cup Super over with uh, Butler and Stokes batting for England and then Archer bowling it. And then in that test match, I think Stokes' IPL experience definitely counted. And we can't have our cake and, cake and eat it. We have to, if we recognise that um, part of the reason England were bowled out for 67 in that first innings was because of the, the sort of prominence of white ball cricket, we also have to reflect that that fourth innings run chase probably would never have happened but for the fact that Ben Stokes has played so much white ball cricket. I, I tend to agree with you and I think I'm going to 
extend this a little bit further into the bowling. I mean, watching Jofra Archer bowling in the test match at Lords when he identified that the, the pitch required bouncers really to get anything out of it and bent his back and was bowling at some point 95 miles an hour. And then at Headingley, assessed the pitch conditions, didn't bowl a brilliant first spell, but came back having assessed those conditions very quickly and changed his length completely, changed his speed completely. And to me, I don't think that bowling would have happened either 20 years ago because it's the intelligence that a bowler develops in trying to keep batsmen quiet, having to bowl a variety of different balls. You know, years back, when I was a young lad, there was it was line and length. These were the verities, line and length. And a bowler would come into the side and he would bowl his length, his natural length. Now, bowlers don't seem to be allowed to have a natural length anymore because batsmen will knock them off their length. They'll play on a variety of different pitches around the world where, and the requirements will be very different in large part because of T20, playing in all these different leagues and these different conditions. And so bowlers have had to adapt. And I wonder if T20 actually created the Joffre spell that took six wickets in the test match. I think there's an argument for that. Yeah, I mean... It- you look at how intelligently he moved his pace down in the first innings at Headingley as well and was, you know, almost almost bowling like a sort of, um, you know, old school England England medium pacer of the past 10 years at least, that, you know, in the sort of Tim Breslin, Chris Waits category of just nibbling it about, finding movement off the seam, um, hitting a good line in length. Well, what it does is it sort of takes the notion of a horse for a course or horses for courses and tears it up because if a bowler can be smart enough to be a different horse on a different course then you don't need horses for courses. You just need highly intelligent bowlers, and those bowlers are the ones that fare best, you'd say, in T20. Look at Jasprit Bumrah. I mean, Bumrah's career, I, I know it's not necessarily all down to T20, but came to prominence in T20, and he's used those skills in test cricket. It's, I, I don't think you can underestimate the influence that T20 is having on test cricket, and, and I would say it's a very good influence for the most part, but I do take your point that it can also result in some of the most shocking batting you will ever see. 67 all out really was that. Now let's move off the test match because we need to have a little look at the South Group. The South Group is still pretty congested. We've got one definite qualifier, we believe, in Sussex. They have 17 points from 12 matches, three points clear of Gloucestershire and Kent, four points clear of Somerset, who are in fourth place, who are level on points with Middlesex, who also have 13 points from 12 games. Then Hampshire and Essex have an outside chance. They are one, uh, two, two points behind, having played the same number of games. Then Surrey, I believe, are now toast. They've got 10 points on 12 games. The only way they can qualify is to win their last two games and somehow hope that Gloucestershire or Kent really uh, mess up because Somerset... Somerset play Middlesex they do in the final game it, it looks like a bit of a humding you've got the returning de Villiers as well oh, so one of those sides is going to get 15 points yeah. uh, so I think we can say goodbye to Surrey and Glamorgan let's briefly dwell on them before we look at the better sides for Glamorgan there is nothing to talk about it has been a terrible season for them and un- unusually so actually because they, they hinted at promise both in the 50 over competition and in the county championship where they're still in with a chance of promotion but this tournament's been they've been helpless let us not waste time on them for Surrey it's just been a case of what might have been isn't it you know another point in that tied match they got over the line against Sussex perhaps Um, they've lost some games convincingly but they've never had a settled outfit and I think when you look at a side that's got Ben Folks coming in at five and sometimes Sam Curran coming in at three you'd Mm -hmm. say wouldn't you 
that they're a batter or two like they are um, we've mentioned in the past as well that Will Jacks probably hadn't quite had the breakthrough season people might have hoped he, he did get a very impressive uh, 63 off 27 coming in at 6 a little bit further down the order against Kent the other night uh, in, a, in a tense one run win closed out by Curran but yeah I, I think um I, you could probably also point to Aaron Finch maybe hasn't quite had the season he would have hoped but I think you know, the key point there is that um, they've never managed to have to come up with any kind of a settled game plan because the personnel have just been uh, chopped and changed far too often for matters not entirely in their own hands uh, What we have seen in the South Group is a lot of ties we've seen four ties I believe in the competition this year to go with all of those no results from rain, we've had more rained off games, I think, than, than any previous tournament. So we've seen a lot of points being shared, which has kept the groups rather exciting, hasn't it? It's kept sides rather bunched up. Now, I, I'm staggered that Essex are still in the hunt. I'm also staggered that Hampshire are so far, are not right in the top. Uh, having watched them against Middlesex and saw them convincingly win that match. I don't know where it's been going wrong for them sometimes this season. Yeah, they, I think they they do look a batter or two light. Um, I think they've they've largely gone with the game plan, a similar-ish one to um, the Derbyshire one we talk about, trying to restrict scores and then uh, not not runs off thanks to um, you know Vincent Northeast and Russo. But um, they they've had a couple of um, games where they've had you know a, a four, five, six of something like Dawson, Morris, Fuller, which is. Um, you know, three guys arguably in the side as much for their bowling as their batting um, coming in in the middle order, which doesn't look great. Um, I think they are probably they probably have just been a batter light for the most part. Um, but we shouldn't write them off. They just about have a chance of uh, sneaking through. Uh, they've got a game against Middlesex um, on Thursday night down at the Aegeus Bowl, which if they won that, they would um, suddenly be in quite a healthy position really and then go to uh, Glamorgan on Friday which you'd think would be two points nailed on so they've they've got half a chance if they can uh, if they can win that game on Thursday uh, let's take a, a look at your predictions at the start of the season can you remember the four sides you thought were going to go through I was definitely for Sussex that, 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 that I can definitely say. I, I had uh, I had Somerset, Sussex, Kent, and Essex were my four, um, which isn't looking miles off. Um, depending on some depending on some late shuffling, I could be uh, way off the off the mark, and I could be three out three or even four out of four. Um, well, Kent started really well. They've had a little bit of a wobble. They have, and, and they've lost overseas players, which has not helped them. But but. The big news today, the big news today, uh, drumroll please if we have such an effect, is that they have signed uh, South Africa's captain, Faf Duplessis, for the last uh, two group games and for the knockouts should they make it, which is um, a pretty massive signing. Uh, and I think this is this is only a hunch, I don't have any inside information, but I believe that that will have something to do with the uh, Sam Billings effect. Uh, he's told me last summer that uh, he'd taken both Adam Milne and Marcus Stoinis out for a little spot of brunch or a coffee uh, when on England when on England duties to try and sort of convince them to come and say, "Look, we're the we're the county you want to come to." Uh, and he's a teammate of uh, Faf's in the in the IPL for Chennai, uh, so I would be surprised if there's if there's uh, nothing to do with Billings there. But yeah, Faf was uh, signed up for the, the now botched Euro Slam and had a little uh, had a little break in his schedule and is is going to come in and possibly make all the difference for Kent in the last couple of games quick word about Klinger because it looks like he might have played his last game at Bristol mm. I mean I suppose if Gloucester should have got a home tie which they could yet have they're in second place at the moment he might get one last hurrah at Bristol what a servant he's been 
Yeah, he you know, maybe this season was one too many. He he got a score the other night, but I I think he struggled a lot at the start of the competition and probably doesn't quite have the uh the the, the range of shots he once did, but um you know, there was a three, four, five year period in which he was more or less the dream overseas player, you know. Starts on the first of April and leaves on the thirty first of September and uh, you know he, he would churn out a thousand championship runs 500 in the one day cup 400 in the t20 and good night thanks for coming really he was he was a perfect uh guy and has dealt with quite a lot of personal hardship as well um on which note i should probably also mention uh tom smith who the other night against somerset um took a, a, an ultimately match winning three for 19 on uh friday night i think it was which was uh, exactly one year after his wife had passed away, thanks uh, on account of a rare form of uh, cancer, uh, and he's been he's he's been brilliant since. Really, there was a, a game earlier in the season, the game at Bristol against uh, Sussex, which was uh, to raise awareness for a charity called Grief Encounter, I think they're called, um, who had sort of counselled him and his uh, his young daughters in the in the uh, in the sort of preceding weeks uh, and uh, you know his a really a really uh, a good news story i suppose his uh, sort of ability to to overcome um great personal hardship and yeah well that was one of a number of derbies that we had this week there are always are derbies aren't there when you've got north group and a south group but that was a big one the west country derby gloucestershire winning that game and just sort of arresting Somerset's charge they started the competition badly Somerset then they got a load of momentum into the game and just faltered a little bit came back into form by beating hapless Glamorgan more runs for Baba Azam but losing that game will not have helped them and it will also have done wonders for, for Klinger's myth if you like 74 <laughs> in the in the West Country derby and they do take it very seriously down there as well they may so uh, we're looking here at Sussex Sussex have a little, a little falter, you might say, losing to Essex, which has kept Essex in the hunt, but they still look very solid at the top. And I particularly liked a tweet that was sent out by Joffrey Archer, <laughs> saying that uh, Sussex had qualified for the quarterfinals. Says, uh, uh, any chance I could get a game? And Luke Wright snapped back quickly. Sorry, sorry, pal, uh, can't change a winning side. So <laughs> I think, sadly, Mr. Archer might be in use at, uh, at Old Trafford by England, but uh, you know, there's always the outside chances available That's, for finals day. That is the other disappointment, isn't it? Because it means you don't get to see the of course, players yeah. playing in those quarterfinals. Anyway, let's not let's not dwell <laughs> on that too much. Um, run me through the big fixtures for this week, then, because as we come to the end, I know we've mentioned a couple of these already. Let's. Let's start with with the key ones in the North Group. Uh, effectively, for Worcestershire and Derbyshire, one more point seals from, um, seals qualification. But don't forget, people are looking for a home tie here. So Nottinghamshire, who are three points behind Lancashire, who have they got in their last couple of games? The, the interesting one is the game between those two at uh, New Road on Wednesday. Worcester hosting uh, hosting Notts. Uh, which, which I think, uh, you know, it, it looks like one of the, the standout ties this week on paper, not least with, uh, Moe and Ali available. Um, if they, if they get a quarter final, you realise that Worcestershire don't have lights. So, please, please, please let us not get into the same kerfuffle we got into when there was a quarter final at Worcester a couple of years back when they mm. absolutely insanely scheduled the game for a time at which it was gonna get dark. And having no lights, they had to go off for bad light and, um, 
Worcestershire lost it on Duckworth Lewis, I think. Ross, I, Ross Whiteley hit the ball out to deep mid-wicket. It clattered through the hands of the fielder. He got a bloody nose. And the umpire said, too dangerous, off we come. Now, which is another issue, because if Worcestershire do have that at home tie, it's presumably going to have to start at around about hmm, half, four, five o'clock. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I mean, when, when we're in September there... Three-hour game. It's actually going to have to start about four thirty. You think? Yeah, I don't know the exact um, days and times that um, the quarters have been penciled in for. I remember last last year. Um, I think they were the weekend we've just had. I think it was the bank holiday weekend, and Worcester hosted a game uh, mid-afternoon against Gloucestershire. But yeah, fingers crossed we won't have any sort of course fi- uh, floodlight fastes or anything to that other, to that end. Other big games this week. Um, I suppose you look at um, Northants Worcester on uh, Friday. Northants have half a prayer of getting through if they can win that one at home. They've got to win both. Um, and then uh, Lancashire hosts Leicestershire, which will possibly end. Well, Leicestershire's challenge has already ended, um, but that should confirm their status as top of the group. Uh, not Durham at Trent Bridge on Friday night, and uh, then you've got the, the sort of basement clash on Friday at Edgebaston, Birmingham, Yorkshire. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, talk us through the South Group. What what uh, what intriguing games have you got coming up? And there will be a few because it is congested, as I say. Sussex are the only side that have confirmed qualification. Then Gloucestershire and Kent three points behind. There are two matches remaining for all of these sides, don't forget. And Somerset a point behind that level with Middlesex, but ahead on net run rate. Uh, yeah, Somerset go first. They travel to the Oval on uh, on Tuesday oh, night. Under, well, they, there you are. Um, and yeah, you know that's a, that, it's a, it, it will be a, an important step forward to qualification for them if they can uh, win that game against uh, sort of a sorry side that, have, to be fair, um, recovered somewhat in the past couple of weeks. Uh, and then looking forward uh, on Thursday night, there's uh, Kent Gloucestershire. Kent with Faf obviously uh, now involved. You would say um, the winner of that game is likely to get a home quarter final. You would indeed. You would indeed. Um, and on the same night, we have Hampshire Middlesex, as mentioned at, at the Aegeus under the lights. Uh, on Friday, there's then uh, Glamorgan Hampshire at Cardiff, Somerset Middlesex, which looks like a real humdinger at Taunton, uh, and Sussex Gloucestershire, which could be a sort of um, could be a chance for Gloucester to sneak into top spot potentially. Who knows how things will have progressed by then? Uh, on Friday, followed by Essex Kent is the final one um, at Chelmsford, to which I will uh, be going. Excellent. Right, let's round you up the KSL action from this week, and really, it's just the Western Storm all the way. They've played nine, they've won nine, they are matchless in this tournament, and as a result, they will go straight through to the final on finals day on the 1st of September. Behind them, we've also got confirmed that uh, the Loughborough Lightning and the Southern Vipers are definitely going to be joining them on finals day. They will play the semi-final, and really, it's been a case of, for Surrey, the defending champions, winning the first two games, then going on an absolutely hideous trot. Lancashire Thunder played nine, lost nine. It's been quite a... Once the the competition found its shape, it absolutely stuck to it, didn't it? Sorry losing basically every game they play, other than those first two. Lancashire losing every game they play. The Storm winning every game they play. And then sort of a matter of, could the Yorkshire Diamonds put something together? Well, they haven't, uh, I'm afraid, for them. They're not going to qualify. They're six points behind with only one game left to play. Uh, I've seen some interesting games and interesting players as well. I was at the Aegeus Bowl to see the the Diamonds play the Vipers the other day. It was a very tight game, a very exciting game. But until I mean, there have been some games that have been high scoring, but a pattern has developed in which those runs have got to be scored at the top of that order. When four wickets go down, 
it really starts to get harder and harder for the women at the bottom end of the, of the, of the order to score runs. And if you can pick up four early wickets, then you're going to keep sides to around about 120, which is definitely chaseable. Yeah, and you know, Western Storm have just had a had a blueprint whereby they've had um, Rachel Priest and Smriti Mandana at the top of the order who have really gone out and blitzed it, but while not creating too many chances either, Priest is averaging 41 and striking at 153, which is a pretty decent um, set of statistics. And while Mandana is perhaps not um, quite exploded into life as she has in, pre- in last season in particular, she's still. Um, you know, averaging 29 and striking at 140 or so. And then uh, Heather Knight is as good a strike rotator in the middle as you'll see. And Fran Wilson's had a pretty useful season in the middle order. So in having four um, heavy scorers, um, which most teams have lacked, you know, you think of the Vipers who have had Wyatt, um, you know. Who has, who has impressed. I mean, she had wonderful hundreds. Yeah. And she impressed the other night, actually, against the Diamonds with a quick fire 50 on a day when nobody else really seemed to find their feet. Yeah, it, but I suppose the the, the um, counterpoint to that is that she's largely been the only one um, to to regularly be putting up scores, um, and that even after a slightly slow start to the tournament with a couple of single figure scores. Um, and yeah, I think um, I think the Storm are going to be massive favourites on finals day. Um, but the side the side that uh, that doesn't play a semi final. Yeah, yeah. Can sometimes not quite have that momentum. It's a very strange thing, women's finals day. It's one of the most my favourite days of the of the summer. Actually, I think it's a wonderful format. You get that one semi final, and then the, the leaders of the group go straight through to the final, play the winner of that semi final. And it is odd that you see a side often if they scrape through that semi final, they then had take an awful lot of confidence in, and they're warmed up and they're ready and they're vital and they want to go. So it's going to be a challenge for the Storm. They're going to have to be on their game and. Uh, if they're going to close out a tournament that they entirely deserve to win. Just quickly going to run you through the leading run scorers uh, in KSL and the T20 Blast. Leading run scorers in KSL, Danny Wyatt on top with 362. Jemima Rodriguez got 100 the other day, 341. Rachel Priest, 131. Heather Knight, 310. Smriti Mandana, 261. Leading wicket takers, Freya Davis of the Storm, the pace, pace bowler, 15 wickets. Tash Warrant, 12 wickets, another pace bowler that'll please being then set up because they want to see mm-hmm. I thought Lauren Bell impressed me the other day as well for the Vipers looks like a, a real uh, a real prospect and Izzy Wong haven't seen her yet but people talk about her there glowing oh there's pace out there and uh, the last two on, on there Darnay Farnika because the Surrey Stars picked up 12 weeks and Sophie Eccleston no surprise to see her in the leading wicket takers with 12 look at the T20 blast well, you know, if Somerset don't qualify, they're going to have to look at the rest of their side because the two leading run scorers are Barbara Azam and Tom Banton with 541 and 440 runs, respectively. Then comes Dawid Milan, who often gets forgotten about, played test cricket not that long ago, seldom mentioned in dispatches when England need somebody who can shore up that middle order. Well, he's doing well in T20 again, which is a format he came to prominence in. He played, played his debut for England at T20. Uh, Short has 397 and Sam Hain who is a Jonathan Trot look-alike look-alike <laughs> scratch-alike yeah and yet he's, he's good impersonator he's, he's very good impersonator with Jonathan Trot but um, I think he's a little more effective than Trot in T20 those are the top five run scorers the top five wicket takers we're seeing a few more pace men involved this mm. year leg spin has not been as prominent this year but notwithstanding Matt Parkinson's on top with 18 wickets all these balls have 18 wickets then Hoddersfield Hoon Ravi Rampal, Carl Abbott, and Stephen Finn 
who's impressed me this season on, on occasion in bursts not sure he's been entirely consistent but when he gets it right he really does get it right now then it's time for us to say goodbye we are going to be back next week by which stage we will know what finals day is going to consist of well no we're not we're going to know what <laughs> finals is going to consist of and then we're going to test our predictions against those uh, against those quarter finalists and come up with our own predictions for finals day we'll also know who has won the KSL the last iteration of the KSL I'm going to that you, you I that? will be there as well um, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing you there yeah maybe we should we should do this straight off I don't know you know, well, we can we can come up with a plan, Dan. We can I'm come sure. Up with a plan, can't we? Come up with a plan. Yeah. But until then, from Matt Roller, my Sylvan sidekick, uh, from me, Daniel Norcross, it's a fond farewell. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>